0: Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for bringing us safely to a new day, and we ask your blessing upon our study of Hebrews chapter 12 today, that we would receive from you a word of grace that we need to be strengthened to run with perseverance the race set before us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children." My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone, and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it many become defiled. See to it that no one becomes like Esau, an immoral and godless person who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he is promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire.
0: So chapter 12 begins with the word therefore, and the word therefore is really meant to build off what's come before in chapters 1 through 11, and in particular last chapter where we went through all that cast of biblical heroes and people of faith who have already been running that race with perseverance, and to remind us that we are part of that larger story and that all of those who have gone before are a great cloud of witnesses in the side of Jesus who surround us, who are encouraging us, who are rooting us on. It reminds us, uh, or me, of what we say at the Eucharist, uh, where at the table we gather with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. That's what we say. And the point is that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who, um, whose race has complete, right? They have metaphorically already put on the victor's crown and they root us on, right? That's kind of the image being offered. And since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we are to lay aside every weight. And I would encourage you to think of that weight as the guilt that will not serve you well on the journey. Um, And the author of Hebrews has written extensively about how that guilt is no longer appropriate how we are to approach the throne of grace with boldness how we are to call Jesus our brother uh, and consider ourselves his brother or sister and all of this of course is tied to Jesus's role as the great high priest who offers one perfect sufficient sacrifice unlike the priests in Leviticus who have to offer sacrifices time and time again and the author of Hebrews has already told us that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins, but that there is a different blood that has been shed. And that this different blood has completely removed every ounce of guilt and given us a new status on the heavenly rolls. And as a result, in this metaphor of running a race... You know, think of running a marathon with the 50 pound backpack. It's going to be a lot easier if you just put that 50 pound backpack down. A marathon is hard enough. And the author of Hebrews knows that this race that we run is difficult, that it's fraught with difficulty and problems and at times even persecution. And so the author is saying, don't carry extra weight and that extra weight we put down is the guilt that stalks us, that the author has spent 11 chapters basically saying it's irrelevant, right? Jesus, the high priest, has already taken care of that, meaning that we're free, right? If we don't need to focus about dealing with this weight, if we don't need to go to the priest and offer sacrifices time and time again, that frees us up to the meaningful work of running the race set before us. And as we run that race, we look to Jesus, who is the pioneer. That word has also been translated author. I like the word author, but he is the pioneer and the perfecter. That word also can be translated completer, right? Because whenever Hebrews talks about being perfect, that Greek word is telos, which is where we get the word completion, The idea is that Jesus is bringing our journey to completion. And so to say that Jesus is the author and the completer of our faith, it's very similar to what Revelation says, where Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Basically, Jesus is the one who started this journey, and Jesus is the one who's going to make sure that it comes to its perfect end. But it still is our race to run right? So even though Jesus is at the beginning, Jesus is at the end, Jesus has removed all the extra weight. As you all know, uh, it's your journey to run. And many of you have uh, experienced the difficulty of the race itself. But we're told to look to Jesus who ran the race before us, um, that God is not a remote, distant deity who sits in the heavens and is asking us to do something he himself has not experienced. But Jesus, who we're told in chapter one, is the exact imprint of God's very being, has already run this race before us. And as he did, he was mindful that it was the joy set before him that allowed him to endure who for the sake of the joy set before him endured the cross. And I always like to remind people that the joy set before Jesus is not the bliss of heaven, right? Because Jesus already had that. It's not the father's blessing because Jesus already had that. It's not a uh, perfect behavior because Jesus already had that, that the, the joy set before Jesus that made him run the race was you right jesus ran the race for you the the joy set before jesus was you and so we might as well just say who for the sake of the joy set before him you know just insert your name you know for annie for michael for jackie jesus endured the cross for you you were the joy set before him it's it's very subtle but that is the meaning of verse two And so we're told in verse three, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. And the reason we are told to consider him is because this community was also enduring a fair amount of hostility. This was a persecuted community. And so one of the things that the author of Hebrews does is frame this as discipline. Um, The Lord disciplines Those whom he loves, he chastises every child whom he accepts. The word translated discipline uh, can also be translated as trains. So to discipline and to train, it's the same word. We find the same Greek word in 1 Timothy 4.8, where Paul writes uh, that we are to train in godliness. And so one of the things that we discover is that this race that we are running It is ultimately a journey of the soul, right? So when we talk about running with perseverance, the race set before us, you don't need to go anywhere other than where you are to run this race because it's not an outer race. You don't need to go to a different place or get a different job or get ordained a priest to run this particular race. It is a journey of the soul. And ultimately, the training that we undergo is training in holiness. And that's stated very clearly in verse 10. He disciplines us for our good, or we could say he trains us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. Now, whatever this holiness is, and we can talk about that together, this is something that belongs to God. It's, It's something that is at the heart of who God is. It's at the heart of his essence. And this idea that God wants us to share in his holiness is is really a a profound thing to say. It's not that different from what we find in second Peter, where we're told that God wants to make us participants in the divine nature. That's what it says in second Peter, that we may participate in the divine nature. I think it's the same idea as sharing in God's holiness But the basic gist of it is not that we become God, right? You will always be a created being. You are not God. Um, But there is something that God wants to impart to us, that God wants to impart to you, that will finally make your journey complete, right? Because it goes back to that word completion or perfection. That completion or perfection, the end of your journey, It's tied to receiving God's holiness, God's goodness, God's love, God's essence. Basically, whatever it is that makes God, God, some of that will be imparted to you. But it will be imparted to you in a way that the distinction between you and God will always remain. And so in light of the fact that God wants to give us this good gift, we're told to make straight paths for our feet. Uh, and this really seemed to be something that Jesus and John the Baptist used to say, right? Because we we get this reading from John the Baptist of "Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight." Uh, it's building off the imagery of the prophet Isaiah, but but basically the idea here is like clear the way in your life to walk this road or to run this race, make straight paths for your feet. It's again tied to the idea of laying aside every weight and running with perseverance the race set before us and part of that means pursuing peace verse 14 pursue peace with everyone um you know Kay uh, shared some comments at the beginning of our study about you know praying for people and in particular people who um might have a different political perspective than us or who might be deeply, disillusioned and, and looking for something to grab onto. And, um, and I think uh, when I said that Hebrews 12 might speak to that, I had this verse in mind that we are to pursue peace with everyone. And I think it's important to name that we are not to agree with everyone. We are not to see the world the way everyone else does. I mean, cause all that's impossible, you know, it's impossible. And so whatever this peace is, it allows for difference. It allows for disagreement. Unity and uniformity are not the same thing, but we can always pursue peace with everyone, right? And so imagine the person, you're like, it's impossible for me to pursue peace with that person. Sad to say, everyone includes them. Uh, And we do this because... We have received a birthright, uh, this this image of Esau, who um, sold his birthright for a single meal. That's a reference to the book of Genesis, where the, the blessing of the firstborn was his, uh, but he traded it for a pot of stew. And that then becomes a metaphor for what sin is. You've received this great birthright as a brother or sister of Jesus. It's your birthright to share in God's holiness. It's, it's your birthright to have your journey completed and perfected. So don't trade it for something cheap. Don't trade it for something that, relatively speaking, is meaningless. Um, you know, it's like whenever I was a kid, I had a Joe Montana rookie football card it's probably worth you know thousands of dollars now and uh, i needed some bowling money so i like sold it for 20 bucks just to go bowling it was a really bad choice you know Uh, so so basically don't don't make those bad trades and notice how this idea of being the firstborn returns in verse 23 we are told that we are part of the assembly of the firstborn And in biblical idiom, you know, to be the firstborn is to inherit the full blessing. Because in Jesus's day, right, the firstborn was the one who inherited the full estate, the full blessing. And the idea here is that we're all firstborn children through Jesus Christ. So don't forfeit the blessing the way Esau did. And while we're talking about Esau, let's also talk about Abel. Right. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, and he has blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, Abel was murdered by his brother Cain, and Abel's blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. Right. And so the basic idea is that will our metaphorical blood that we shed, the pain we experience, will we live our life crying out for vengeance? crying out for retribution, crying out for God to rain fire down upon our enemies, because that's the blood of Abel. Or will we turn to the blood of Jesus that seeks peace, forgiveness, and salvation? And so we can juxtapose the blood of Jesus with the blood of Abel in this symbolic world. And then finally, the chapter ends by reminding us that all of this talk of discipline and holiness and running the race, that it's all tied to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, If you're anything like me, you wonder what on earth in this world is reliable. What is it that's not going to change? What is it that's not going to crumble? And this image of the kingdom that can't be shaken uh, is where I go. And so whatever it is that you're receiving It is firm and secure. It cannot be shaken. And then the the, um, chapter ends by reminding us that God is a consuming fire. And to kind of bring it all full circle, as you run this race, we can ask the question, what gets consumed? You know, what is it that God needs to burn up in your life or in your soul so that you might continue to run the race and eventually come to share in God's holiness? Now, I can't answer that question for you, but for me, it's my irritability, it's my greed, it is my um, lack of patience at times, right? I can look at all those things in my life and say, you know, the divine fire still needs to consume some things. And um, we have the imagery from Leviticus of the burnt offering, right? What would it look like to offer yourself as a burnt offering to God and to say, you know what, Uh, some of this stuff needs to get burned up. And I think an interesting question to think through is, what is it in my life that grace needs to consume? We have that great Advent reading where um, John the Baptist says, the ax is lying at the root of the tree. Every good tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Everyone always gets so scared when they hear that passage. I get really excited Uh, Because it's meant to be an image of grace, right? That in your life, which does not bear fruit, which ultimately isn't tied to God, but rather to some idol in the fullness of time, it is God's grace that will consume that not because God doesn't love you, but precisely because God does. And because God is training you, disciplining you to make sure that your journey finds its perfect end.